When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man I don't know what that even means Now I just want you in my arms again And we can search each other's dreams All right, 3Bs. All right, Diamond Dogs. What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's an episode of Three Swings, and I am the host of this podcast. Three Swings, said it again, whatever. I recorded the interview before the intro, so I'm all loose and weird. Uh, It's Rhea Butcher, host of this here podcast, a podcast about baseball and other things. Currently, it's a lot about other things. Um, But we have been doing throwback episodes, re-airings, because it's helpful for me, and also... There's new listeners, so it's nice to give them something old that feels new in the feed. Uh, but because of everything that's going on, which is a phrase I I dislike, so I'm mad that it even came out of my mouth. Um, everything that's going on, I was like, let's do a podcast. Let's put a put a real one out. Um, it's it's nine days, ten days into protests across the country against uh, police brutality um, and for Black Lives Matter. Um, so I felt like it was an important time to maybe put my face in front of a microphone, um, since I can't do it, uh, on stage anymore. (laughs) Um, so yes, if you listen to this podcast, you are probably paying attention, uh, to what's going on socially, globally. Um, we've, we've been in, you know, month, whatever of a global pandemic, the likes of which we have not really seen in a hundred years. Um, and then, in the midst of that and before it and ongoing through it. And we perhaps didn't see it. Um, the police have done what they've continued to do, which is, uh, brutalize and execute American, innocent American people, um, innocent black people in the street. Um, and also in their homes in the case of Breonna Taylor, um, who was, uh, executed in her home after the police in Kentucky in Louisville, Kentucky, um, got a no-knock warrant and just trespassed into her home um, and executed her while she was sleeping. Uh, she also happened to be an EMT, who are the people we are praising right now in the midst of this pandemic for being on the front lines and helping people, um, a caregiver to her community, 
um, and she's no longer with us on what is currently her would would have been her 27th birthday as I record this in this podcast. Um, and what I see is across essentially everything. People who are fed up and done. And I see a moment of alignment. I see a moment in baseball, in professional sports, in, in essentially everything, labor, strife, everything. Everything is lining up for this moment to happen. And we are at a moment that we, I am a 37 year old person. I'm currently alongside all of you living through a moment that I would have read in a social studies book. I think I've read somebody say that on Twitter, so I don't, I hope to not steal that from anybody, but that their child said that to them. Like we're living through a social studies chapter and like, I feel like we always are, you know, it's important. I think for me to remember that we are always living through a moment of social, of a social studies (laughs) chapter. Um, We just don't always know it or recognize it. And it doesn't always make the books, but this one will for sure. So I ask you as a listener of this podcast of someone who has, uh, you know, heard me grow and understand myself and, and issues and values in different ways to, uh, you know, stand with me in this moment against police brutality, um, in alignment with the values of black lives matter, because it is a moment where we actually just have to do it, take a stand and take an action. Um, the moment of like passivity is gone. Um, and hey, you've got to do what you've got to do. But the moment for waiting for the next one or <laughs> waiting waiting for when it's a little bit quieter has has sort of passed by. And that moment, this we are in a big, large moment um, of of tectonic shifts, I believe, and hope. Um, I just don't think there's any going back to what we believe or thought was normal. And I have spent the past couple months realizing I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to go back to what life was like in 2015 because what life was like in 2015 was uh, black people being murdered in the street by police officers uh, on video um, with things like chokeholds being banned in their department. And it didn't save Eric Garner's life. So that is not anything that I want to go back to. Um, What I want to do is go forward. Um, into a brighter future where we put money into the things in our communities that we have been lacking for decades, into public education, into mental health facilities, mental health care, health care, community centers, places for people to go. Uh, I don't know, conservation. We can actually take this moment to dream big. We are watching every night on the news or on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram. We are seeing where our money is going and it's going into the hands of police to weaponize them to an even further degree than they have ever been. They have military weapons at their disposal that we have paid for that has been diverted from even the most basic things like potholes in the road. <laughs> I, I think this is the time to realize that whatever that fear that you have, where we have either less police or no police, 
you you've got to do what you can to to sort of like set that aside and wonder could it be a good thing could it be a good thing to not have police could it be a good thing to not have patrol cars in in neighborhoods terrorizing people who they they have predisposed to be criminals i don't want people walking around my neighborhood who think everyone's a criminal that's i wouldn't want someone around my kids they're in every school they're everywhere so just open yourself to the possibility that they're not actually protecting you and that as soon as you take a stand against that they stop and i think that's been evidenced on everything that we've seen in the past 9 days plus the last 200 years um so i i urge you to like dream big and think about what we what we could do if we had more than just the police to answer every call that we have there's been a a like a video going around on twitter of a crocodile or an alligator in florida um and people were sort of passing it around saying like you know like i don't know like good job to the alligator because he like knocks out one of the cops that's trying to put him on the back of the truck and i see that video and i think why are the police handed this job why are police being told to do this job why don't we have like animal services why don't we have wildlife in every in every county why don't we have more wildlife people conservationists caregivers than we do cops why do we why don't we have more uh i don't know nurses and cops or not cops definitely not cops uh just therapists you know why why are we in in los angeles alone three billion dollars go to the police department and i know that 90 percent of that is not paying salaries i guess i just think this there's there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot We all have a job to do. We all play a part. We all have something to do. But I think that something to keep in mind that I'm trying to keep in mind is that I have to keep learning and I have to keep challenging what I'm seeing and challenging what I think and asking myself, does this align with my values as a human being? Does this go far enough? Does this do enough? We are at a moment where we don't have to settle. We truly do not have to settle. And if you're someone who wants to work for the changes and the, the, the movement that we've been talking about on this show for a long time, in not just baseball, but in the world, then I, I ask you to do the same, to, to, to question what you've been thinking, challenge yourself, keep learning, staying open, and uh, keep looking. Very excited to have an interview this week um, with just an amazing person. It's so great to, like, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of uh, a, 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 a almost complete and total uprising, to still, like, make new friends. <laughs> it's, a pretty, it's a pretty wonderful thing to realize, like, oh, through all of these big social justice movements and the big changes that we read about in books, people were still creating new friendships because it's happening today. So it's a nice reminder that these things are not 
they're not just the stories that we've been told, you know, it's actual real life. People cooked meals for each other. They made new friends and kept the old. Um, uh, so I think you're really going to love our guest today. Um, it's just a really wonderful interview and, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for all of you, uh, for listening. And, uh, also before I go to our ad break, just wanted to let you know that we will be doing the old ball game this weekend. Um, we think it's going to be the 2015, uh, white Sox at Baltimore Orioles game where the city of Baltimore decided to have a fanless game because of the, uh, uprising that was happening at that time in Baltimore around, um, the death and murder of Freddie Gray, who died in police custody, um, in 2015, um, and major league baseball because of some union stuff. And we'll get into all that, um, decided to go ahead with the game and not move it. Um, so we'll probably be watching that one and we will probably be donating all funds that we make off of, off of that one. And we have yet to decide that it will probably be some bail funds or, um, perhaps a black lives matter, just like, uh, overall sort of national donation. Um, we're unsure. So if anybody that's a old baseball game fan wants to give us some input on where they would like their, um, donations to go totally open to those. Um, and we're also planning on donating the, the money that we have made so far over the past couple episodes. And if you guys have any input on where you'd like to see that go, um, we're absolutely open to it. Um, I, I personally love to, to find, um, a more sort of national outreach, especially when people from all over, you know, you know, sending money in to watch old ball game, want to get it to the place that you guys feel the best about. So all feedback there is welcomed. Um, and after this, please, please come back for my interview with Randy Wilkins right after this. Freebies, my goodness. I'm so excited uh, for our guest today. You guys have been asking me for guests. And guess what? I got my butt in gear and I got a great guest for you. Our first guest today is, uh, well, our first and only guest today is a filmmaker and director of 30 for 30 TV series. Uh, he is a former baseball player and he is a current fan. Please welcome to the show, Randy Wilkins. Randy, how are you? I'm well, I'm well, given the circumstances of the uh, <laughs> yeah. world right now. But um, yeah, I'm doing Absolutely. pretty well. How are you? Um, I, I mean, likewise, you know, just like yeah. one one moment at a time, one day at a time, uh, slowly but surely. You yeah, know? absolutely. Thank you so much for being on our show, my show. Really happy to have you here. I uh, found out about you via Twitter, which is like Twitter is a blessing and a curse. But the silver yes. lining is you get to meet new people. Uh, who have great tweet threads and you go like, yes, 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 yes. And you favorite them all the way down. And then you go, Hey, will you come on my podcast so we can talk about this more? Um, and that's exactly how we met and what led us to being on this podcast together. Um, so thank you for being here. And I want to ask you first, before we get into that thread and get into the sort of larger discussion that I was hoping we could get into, um, what, brought you to baseball like what is your your earliest memory of it like what brought you into your love of the sport of baseball 
Well, first, thank you for having me. I'm I'm yeah. incredibly honored to be here with you. It's, this is a great honor, and I'm I'm excited to talk baseball with you. Um, in terms of my introduction to baseball, my first memories, I honestly don't have many. In terms of first memories, um, I've always I've always had baseball in my life. I know that um, my mom always tells me that I would watch baseball with my grandfather, my late grandfather, Charles McGowan, on the couch. He was a big time baseball fan. He loved the Yankees. And as a baby, I would just sit next to him on the couch and we watch baseball. And my mom would also tell me that putting on a baseball game was the only way that she could walk away from me and take care of like her stuff because I, I just wouldn't move. I'd be frozen watching the games. And obviously I was too young to remember all of that, but I honestly can't remember a time where baseball wasn't in my life. Um, I played baseball, I played little league, you know, all those things um, were a part of my early childhood. And I remember this is embarrassing, but I'm going to say it anyway, where I lived, there were always these, uh, these playgrounds. I lived, I grew up in Parkchester in the Bronx. So in Parkchester, they have all these like super large playgrounds for the kids to play in. And I would have this, I bought a catcher's mask for some reason. My grandmother <laughs> bought me a catcher's mask. I did the same thing once as a really? kid. And I, I think it was right <laughs> after I had seen a league of their own. Like I had like a, you know, like on it, like birthday money. And that was what I bought. And my dad told me recently that he remembered picking me up because when I would go see him, he would pick me up that I was just wearing it. <laughs> like just, no hat, just the catcher's mask. Yeah. That's I had so a hat. Funny. I had a hat. My grandmother bought it for me. My grandmother's great. She would always indulge me with like crazy things that mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And <laughs> I had, I had the mask. I had the backwards hat, of course. And I would go to the park by myself or with my babysitter. And I had a, uh, a vest that I would always wear, but I would wear the vest inside out. Like it was a chest or reverse. So it was like a chest protector <laughs> and I would play games by myself imagining scenarios as the catcher with the catcher's mask on with the backwards vest, like the weird kid in the playground, imagining like these, play, these baseball scenarios. And I would do it like all day. Oh yeah. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> but, I know everybody thought that I was crazy, but I had, I had I fun, mean, so it didn't matter. You can mark me down as not somebody that thought you were crazy. Cause I, I, I feel as though I did exactly that. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like throwing the mask off and catching pop-ups that I yeah. threw, you know, like my own exactly. thing. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I, yeah. And I, my experience is the same with baseball that I, I feel like my memory of myself is in alignment with my memory of baseball. But like, there's not a time in my early understanding of like the world that it wasn't present, you know, and I grew up watching with grandparents too. So it's an interesting sort of like legacy of the game you know it's just like this thing i i often talk about it being like baseball asmr like mm -hmm, just laying mm -hmm. on the couch and sometimes even just like listening to the games you know which is um uh, like a whole a whole nother experience of it but yeah I, ca I can't remember a time where it wasn't something that i loved you know oh yeah for sure it's um <laughs> for me outside of family I love baseball pretty much more mm -hmm. than anything else. Uh, it's, it's an obsession. It's a passion. It's a genuine, true, raw love. Like I just love baseball. I don't really know how else to express that. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's always been a part of me. I, you know, again, I, I don't know the first time that I was introduced to baseball. I just know that it's been a part of my identity 
my entire life. So yeah, yeah we, we share that. We share that passion <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. And you said, so you played baseball, not just like little league and you played, uh, in the, at the college level. Was that? Yeah, I played in college. Um, I was fortunate enough to be invited to a tryout with the Kansas city Royals between my oh. junior and senior year, um, which was a crazy experience. Wow. Um, yeah, they had regional scouts in New York, and I played on an American League, a Legion team that um, had connections to the Royals and the Mets. And we went to a tournament. I played well, and then they invited me to the tryout. So um, obviously it didn't work out, but that was fine. Um, yeah. It was a great experience, but just to be in that environment and to, to have that chance and that opportunity was more than enough for me. It was awesome. So um, that's the closest that I came to professional sports, but um, wow. yeah, yeah, I played, I played for a while. That's very cool. Uh, what was your position or positions in high school? I played left field. And then when I went to college, I was a center fielder. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. And then that, that's amazing. Um, righty, lefty, righty, righty. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Little, little righty, little righty. I hit harder <laughs> than the I hit harder than the big guys though. So that was always fun to, uh, yeah, I hit, I hit the ball pretty hard for some, somebody my size. Sure. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I love about the game too, is like what you think is going to be the ideal, you know, is like, I think for some people that's their like sort of dismissal of, but you know, the, the sort of history of baseball that it's like, you know, you can be sort of out of shape and play baseball, you know, that like for whatever, like I, I do a, we do a um, sort of like live stream watch through of games and we watched uh, the 2001 world series game seven and just like mm-hmm. seeing Mark Grace looks like he just got done like mowing his lawn <laughs> and just walked in, you know what I mean? Like that, could, yeah. but he also had so many like huge hits in that game. And it's like, um, it defies expectations, you know, to me, yeah. the game of baseball defies. And that's not to say that, you know, other athletics don't do that. It's just that there's a certain like pacing of the game and timing of the game that doesn't exist in anything else, you know, right. the way it's played that it plays out over this very long span of time. And um, it's always something unexpected, even in like a, just the simple games. Um, that's what I love about it. So, um, so we, I think we should probably get into your thread and, uh, talk about those things. We don't need to go like point by point. Um, <laughs> everybody can, uh, can and should follow you on Twitter, which is at, uh, Pam son, which is all one word. So P A M S S O N. Um, and you, so you had this tweet thread that, that sort of went through, I, I think we're the, similar here in that we, follow a lot of baseball <laughs> on Twitter, mm-hmm. very much, uh, on baseball Twitter. Of course my tweet, um, or my Twitter moved your tweets down, but, um, so just like talk intro me to like, what, what was the impetus for you in like saying it? Because I know in your, in your first tweet, you basically say like, you're going to go through a thread of two things that are very close to your heart, which is, uh, baseball and social justice. And so, what what was the the moment because i feel like when you get in or at least for me when i get into a thread that's like all right i'm just gonna lay this thing out because this is what it is um there there's always something that i'm like all right this is what i can't i can't not say this anymore so what was what was the impetus for that the the mlb social justice conversation that you started on twitter well for me the tipping point was the 
the statement from Major League Baseball mm-hmm. addressing the George Floyd murder and the protest and um, the call to finally address systemic racism in a in a broad and aggressive manner um, mm-hmm. and proactive manner, I should say. And I was waiting for nine days for Major League Baseball to make a statement. And as time went on, there were more and more players who were being public about their desire to see their league respond to everything that was going on. And over nine days, we had seen in many cases and in literally seeing parts of the country burn. I mean, we mm-hmm. were see, seeing incredible civic unrest that we haven't seen since the 60s when, you know, like the history of the country changed in 1968. Mm-hmm. So this is an important part an important time in American history. This isn't something that's just going to be brushed aside. Um, So to see MLB wait that long while the entire country is focusing on all of these events just felt incredibly, I know a lot of people like to say or use the term tone deaf, but I can't really think Mm -hmm. of a better term to address how they were handling it. Um, And the thing that really bothered me, I think, there were two things. It was the statement itself, but over those eight or nine days, MLB was spending more time trying to negotiate the start of their season through the media and quite honestly, trying to suppress wages of their, their labor force while there's a pandemic going on, while there's incredibly high unemployment, while people are protesting for racial equality against police brutality, against injustice. There there were all these other societal things going on and they spent more of their energy towards trying to cut player salaries that are contractually obligated to be paid instead of addressing how those players felt and what, you know, the the threat that was looming for a lot of their, their own players, not just black players, Latino players. And as we're seeing, white players could also be threatened as well. So, yeah. And go ahead. I think when the statement came out and and I saw that they had terms like systemic racism in bold, it was just like I'd had enough because there's systemic racism in baseball and they're they never address it. You know, and it was just like I have something to say. This is really for myself. It wasn't really I know I was broadcasting it on social media, but it was really for me to feel better about what was going on. And it was really Mm -hmm. an exercise in trying to make sense of something that was really bothering me. And I think the the use of the term systemic racism in that statement was as soon as I read it, I started writing the tweets because systemic racism is in baseball more so than the other American professional sports. So it just seemed completely unaware or intentionally unaware um, of their own product, their own league. And I I just had enough. It was like, I'm just going to say something and I was going to go on about my business and then, you know, anything but (laughs) happened after that. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Let me, did you write the thread and then put your phone down for a while and then come back to a blown up thread or did you watch it in real time, sort of make moves? I watched it in real time. I mean, I <laughs> pretty wild. <laughs> like the notification went off a couple times, and I was like, oh, "Okay, like the same old people that engage with me when it comes to baseball, sure. they're liking it, you know, they're responding." So, okay, this is like pretty typical. And then 
the notifications were coming in so fast that the actual like chime or whatever couldn't keep up with the number of notifications coming in. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what the, what's going on? Like what, what's happening? <laughs> and then I looked and I was just like, oh, like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> it yeah, was like, right. yeah. this is, this is headed somewhere. This, um, this is my Wednesday or whatever day that was when that, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think that was Wednesday. Hard yeah, Wednesday. Track. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I can speak for myself, but many of the listeners of this podcast that the thread that you wrote, which touches on many subjects within that statement, within everything also that you just said, that that you touched on a nerve of many, not just baseball fans, but people. Because like um, like you said, the, the, <laughs> even about the, for the phrase tone deafness itself, it's like it's these words and things just they just get cycled through a PR machine. And then they're like, what are the things we need to say so that we can make this statement and move along and then get everybody just sort of like, let's just just get it out. Well, we got to say something now um, and like move on. Well, I, something that has been really interesting to me through these past nine days without the mechanisms of baseball actually in place, like as a job that these men are not reporting to every day and feeling like they're this overlord, they're speaking their truth, you know, and learning and finding their own words. Like they don't have to check with some PR or department before they tweet and say what's going on. Like part of your um, tweet storm, tweet thread mentioned uh, Tory Hunter and what he went through and how Major League Baseball suppressed him even talking about that. And how can you, as a company, then send out this statement about systemic racism when you literally didn't help one of your biggest stars? Right. And not only did you not help him, but you marketed him while he was a player. So he mm -hmm. his value was in pushing the product, but his value didn't lie in his humanity. Absolutely. And Which to me, I feel like they try to play that, what you just said, like they try to play that they believe in his humanity when they every year on April 15th talk about Jackie Robinson. But but right. the reality is that they're not confronting their own participation in his removal of his humanity in what right. he went through, because he's just like he is a symbol, but they have created their own version of that symbol that they then just market to everybody. Yeah, it's sanitized. Mm -hmm. and is a is a cover and again it's just it's just stripping humanity from the players that could be the most directly impacted by things that we're seeing right now in the world and the statement and the general culture of major league baseball and baseball in general i mean i, I think that this is not just a major league baseball problem i think it's a mm -hmm. baseball problem universally it's just the it's just a convenient and blatant disregard of things like this. Um, mm -hmm. And it's in, it's ingrained in what baseball is, unfortunately. And it's bothersome. I mean, I, we just talked for a couple of minutes about how much we both share a love of baseball. Mm -hmm. But I also see and read stories about Torrey Hunter almost getting killed in his house and MLB and his agent and the team were telling him mm -hmm. to be quiet. I mean, how do we, how do we, rationalize those two things together and feel and feel good about it you know it's just right. it's, it's difficult it's difficult yeah it's absolutely difficult and it's quite literally systemic racism like it might 
those things like working together are a system of racism that keep uh, pe- anything from changing. It just keeps everything where it was. And so how, how do we open that up? And I think something that you uh, also touched on was the, the sort of, and you're starting, you're, even what you just said is that the sort of like old boys network that, you know, and like old boys club that baseball is, which is a, is like a sort of a round way of saying like old white guys, you know, <laughs> and like yeah, baseball right. <laughs> is run by old white men because like, right. honestly, like, I think I, I can see, you know, like the Rays made a very specific, like they, they did not just say we have to fight for equality. And, you know, they said like, police brutality, which are uh, big words for corporations like a major league baseball team to be saying. And so I don't disregard the importance of that. Um, but now I just completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, oh, different voices and the, the actual people who are running these companies and the actual amount of people who are working within these companies that if, you, you can say these things, but what are your actions? You know, what are your right. actions and actions include who is part of your organization? Um, if right. you go through and look at the numbers of these teams, like most teams in, in major league baseball last year had one black player. There's right. one black manager in baseball. Right. <laughs> there were three black players in the national league West period. Right. How, how can you be saying these things and not also addressing the, that? And, and then it's sort of, they start to use baseball itself uses this sort of individualism. It's like, well, you have to lift yourself up by your bootstraps to get on the team, but you have done nothing to widen the net of, in fact, you've thinned it to like only people of privilege that can access the sport itself, which goes into like cable access, ticket prices, like almost it's like once you start pulling at one thing. Um, but you also mentioned with the, even the people who write about baseball, that most people read them. You were talking about, um, Gary Sanchez and I don't know this, the Yankees beat writer off, off the top of my head that you were talking about, but he like wrote a book about him and everything. Did you want to like mention that? Well, uh, the writer is, uh, Bob Clappish, he's a he's a national baseball writer now. He he mm-hmm. used to be a beat writer, but um, he's a national uh, baseball writer. Um, and he wrote a book about the Yankees and the 2017 Yankees and kind of how this new iteration of Yankee stars and this this core came about. Mm-hmm. And Gary Sanchez is a part of that, along with Aaron Judge and Glaber Torres and um, other players. But Gary Sanchez was the first one to come up as a part of this new wave of young Yankees. And he's a Dominican player. Um, he, he did have um, a history of um, clashes with the organization when he was young, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of young players do. Um, but his, he had a baby, he got married, his life changed, his attitude changed. But um, he's a big guy. Um, you know, he's, he's not like the most muscular guy in the world, but he's, he's a big guy. He's a big, strong guy, um, works incredibly hard at his craft. Um, but the, the key is that he's a Spanish speaking player mm-hmm. and he's quiet. He's, you can tell by his mannerisms that he's generally a reserved guy 
and he doesn't speak English. He doesn't do interviews in English because he's he's not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not for a lack of interest or a lack of trying, but he's more comfortable expressing himself in his native language because it's hard to do an interview in a second language, especially when you're a reserved guy. And in many instances, not just in the book, but Bob Clappish makes it a point to use coded language specifically towards Gary Sanchez. And if you are aware of how these code words work, you you your bells go off right away. And you know that mm-hmm. he's depicting him and portraying him in a very specific manner that has nothing to do with his production, that has nothing to do with the ref, his reflection with his teammates. It's none of that. It's just an outside voice portraying this reserve player who cannot defend himself in the language that this reporter is speaking in to defend himself from the way that he's being depicted by this reporter. And it was, it's obvious. Like I was reading the book and I had to stop reading it because it just, it just stood out. Like we're getting things like fat, lazy, brooding, things like that. And as a Yankees fan, we see these players every day. Granted, we're not in the clubhouse. We're not 24 seven with these guys, but we see their mannerisms. We see how they interact with people. We see how they interact with other players. We see how they perform um, on the field. And there was nothing about him that felt lazy or brooding. You know, he's, he's a competitor. So he, he doesn't come across in any of those manners, but it was just, there were just cold words and there was nothing justifying the use of those cold words. There isn't mm-hmm. a Gary Sanchez incident to turn to. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's um, no, like, there's literally nothing that comes to my mind of Gary Sanchez no. other than like huge home runs. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. maybe, maybe not the best coverage on curveballs in the dirt, but like that's, right. that's a catcher thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's like, it's not, it's funny. Cause these are the same kinds of guys who say things like, uh, you know, shut up and dribble and pay attention to the, you know, and, right. but, but then they make somebody's performance about so many other things when there's no, like you said, there's no incident, there's no Gary Sanchez incident to point to. We can say, well, maybe there's that. And and that also reminds me of your, you were talking about Acuna and the, the bat flip um, right. conversation. That was two seasons ago, right? Or was yeah. that last year? I can't. Well, I, I mentioned uh, <laughs> specifically the, the Ozzie Albies uh, mm-hmm. commentary during the Reds game. Ozzie Albies plays for the, the Braves. And at the time, mm-hmm. He had just signed a long-term deal that most people were like, you're, you're undervaluing yourself. You should have had a, a, you know, like you, you didn't play the game to your advantage. Like you could have made more Mm -hmm. money. You know, it's his decision. Obviously, like it has nothing to do with us. He made a decision. He signed it. That's fine. But the Reds announcer, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, made it a point to say, well, he didn't understand why people were criticizing him for signing this deal because he comes from a poor country. And of course he would take this <sighs> deal. I'm paraphr- uh-huh. paraphrasing, but I mean, that's what we hear on air. And mm-hmm. thankfully people on Twitter called it out and they they brought attention to it. But you know, the team just asked him to put out some BSPR statement. Major League Baseball didn't say anything. And there was nobody really there to hold him accountable other than people on Twitter. There wasn't anybody right. in, a, in an official capacity to to put it in its place. And that's part of the issue also. There just isn't anything really in place to have a system of accountability. And I guess that's reflective of, you know, things that are going on in the world. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, and it's, I mean... I mean, I think, and, and you you get to this too in your thread too, and I agree with it, is that it's not 
at a certain point, it becomes less about accountability and more about shifting our perspective on what all of this looks like, you know, like what, because these guys literally have the microphones, you know, they literally have the microphones and they speak to the fans, supposedly for the fans. They're mostly mouthpieces for the, the, the teams. It's less about oftentimes about the game than it is about the politics of the game or the finances of the game. Um, and only recently have they begun to allow like white women into the booth as long as they wear like high heels and a skirt and like, you know, they played softball or whatever. Like there's no, you know, it's like there, there's such a thin margin of what is acceptable in, in the, in the sort of major league baseball realm that like, I just, I don't believe that. And I also don't think like just putting types of people in positions changes everything. But I do think that when you're talking about something like baseball and you're bringing someone in based on their voice and what their voice is bringing to, to the, the game and the conversation that actually makes the change, you know, baseball has, I think one like inclusion. It's like Billy Bean. He's like the one person that every, you know, like, come on, man. Like you gotta, it's, this is not, you know, it's like, you gotta have, you got to have diversity in your diversity, you know, like it's right, not, right, right. it should be one person's job. I don't care how actually <laughs> intersectionally diverse that person is. And he's not really like, so that's why you have to have teams of people. Like baseball is not a solo sport. You have to, right. as fun as it is to play by yourself in the park and game out all those scenarios alone. Like you have to bring other voices in because just baseline, we're talking about corporations that have boards that are yes men, you know, like right. we, we can take any incident from baseball and point and just see that that is the baseline of it. It's it's a for profit organization and they don't want to lose money. Right. They just want to make money, you know. Right. So how do you how do you hold something accountable that's got a lot of money? <laughs> you know, right. how do you, right. I, I mean, I think you take their money away. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think that's, that's usually what hits them the hardest, you know, that's, right. that's my vision for the future of those things, you know? Um, yeah, and, and, and I also, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. It's, and for me, it's, it's important to also acknowledge that I, when I'm talking about like a more diverse collection of voices, it, it's not just like black men either. It's mm-hmm. women, black men, black women, Latinos, Asian, LGBTQ, like, across the the spectrum oh yeah i I just think that the the voices just really need to be expanded upon in all kinds of different ways and i don't think that it's just a black player thing i don't think it's just a black lack of black representation i I feel that Mm -hmm. way across the board i mean it's just spanish-speaking reporters yeah yeah. um you know like it it it's across the board it just needs to improve and the the Mm -hmm. accountability needs to be there for sure yeah. And, and I didn't mean to, impl- your, your thread was very like casting a very, very wide yeah. net <laughs> for sure. Um, I, and we also, I sent you a, a, a bleacher report article that I sort of went through a little bit um, and talking about, you know, some of the players coming out and, and, and talking about what they can. I mean, it's, it's, I'm grateful to see players like John Carlos Stanton and Jack Flaherty and Peter Alonzo and Lucas Giolito and even Bryce Harper, like I might right. not, I might have, it's like, well, you know, but like, these are statements that people are making that I really don't think if we had actual baseball going on, 
I don't know that they would be making them. I think they would be making the conversation about the anthem, you know, and right. I'm, <laughs> right. I, honestly today grateful that there is no baseball so that they can actually be making these statements, you know, and, and beginning to do it. And also I have these numbers, uh, 11 of the 30 MLB clubs last year had no more than one black player on opening day rosters. Yeah. Not surprising. <laughs> Not surprising. You, I don't understand how you can, uh, personally, like how you can actually like market Jackie Robinson day when that's a reality. Right. Yeah. There were more white guys more in 42 than black guys, which, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like, it's yeah. ironic. Yeah. It's, it's ironic and it's many other things. I feel yeah. like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, for sure. It's also funny to me because that article that I'm sort of referencing is, uh, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. Uh, once a leader of social justice, MLB is now embarrassingly behind the times. I think this is also something that I was perhaps a little bit, maybe not naive to, but maybe I had my head in the clouds about at one time baseball was a leader of social justice or that they had something uh, as a vision opposed to profit. But I don't actually think that's true. <laughs> do you do you think that there was a time that the MLB was a leader in social justice, or do you think the players, baseball players themselves, there were more social players who were willing to fight for social justice that happened to be baseball players? Well, that's a great question. I now that you pose it that way, I, I think I think you're right. I think it was the players. I don't think it was the institution of baseball. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, even even the Jackie Robinson story is like really watered down mm -hmm. and distilled. I mean, it was way more complicated than that. Branch Rickey wasn't just some like really nice guy that just wanted Harrison to break Ford the color barrier. Yeah, exactly. Being really Harrison nice. Ford. Yeah. <laughs> this guy we all love, like, oh, right. he really just yeah. Han Solo wanted um, to help the Han game. Han Solo, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it it was it was the players and and the sheer amount of players that um, mm -hmm. made these things happen in their presence and the time in which a lot of them played. Um, Hank Aaron just being one of the greatest players ever, breaking Babe Ruth's record. Um, Willie Mays being one of the greatest players ever. I mean, we could go down the line. Willie Stargell, uh, McCovey, like go down the line of the personalities also. I mean, they were, they had personality. Um, it seems like they had more personality back then than they do now. Um, but yeah, I, and think, they had, I think you're they, right. They, speaking of like labor too, they had way worse labor conditions back then. Well, yeah, I wanted to, <laughs> that was something I wanted to mention too, is that um, while I agree with you, the way that you posed the question um, that the institution of baseball didn't really lead the charge. I do think it led the charge in terms of um, labor and mm -hmm. pushing uh, labor and labor wages ahead and free agency. I mean, that was Kirk Flood. That's a yeah. that's a black right. man um, who, who who was also essentially blackballed from the hall. Like I personally exactly think there, there's we have so many baseball loves they especially now to be like shouldn't we let Pete Rose in now? Right. And I'm like <laughs> no no. Because first right. of all, everybody agreed the answer to that question was no. So that's done. And right. not in, not we shouldn't even be having that conversation until Kurt Flood is inducted into the Hall of Fame, period, for right. doing what he did, which is he sacrificed his entire career so that players in the future would have protection. 
the protections right. they have today. Right. And like, yeah, he was blackballed. I mean, he was like Kaepernick before Kaepernick uh, mm-hmm. for totally different reasons, but he had the audacity to fight for, for labor. And I feel in that respect, and again, it wasn't even the institution of baseball. It was a player that um, took the onus to do something for his, for his workforce. And um, yeah, I I just think that it's littered throughout history where the players Mm -hmm. were the ones being proactive and making a difference in the institution in some cases, like actively fighting against it um, and trying to, and trying to maintain that, that culture that we've been talking about so far that, you know, it's, it's, you know, the sanctity of baseball and we have to protect (laughs) that at all costs. And this idea of the, the pure baseball game and Mm -hmm. um, playing the game the right way and all this other nonsense is really just reinforcing power structures because Mm -hmm. playing the game the right way is defined by a very specific group of people. Because if you see, (laughs) yes, you you see baseball played, throughout the, the the world it is played differently it is treated differently it's celebrated differently i mean we're watching all these kbo games now because we don't have major league baseball mm-hmm. and they have cheerleaders and they're not afraid to express themselves and um when the fans are there it's a completely different experience so um playing the game the right way doesn't really exist it's just to me it just means maintaining a power structure and a way mm-hmm. to approach certain things by, you know, by the majority. So, um, yeah, I've always had an issue with that phrasing. I mean, there's <laughs> very the specific worst. and unwritten yeah. rules. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's I really, I, I, it's, it's such a like thorny because it works so well because not only it maintains the power structure and then it allows the fans that hear it, and they think, which are mainly white fans, you know, hear it. Mm-hmm. Not that it's mainly white fans. I mean, the main, the, the white fans that hear it think that's me. You know, it's yeah. like, it's coded language for white people to feel like, yeah, me. Uh-huh. Yeah, we know what we're talking about. It's like status quo. Right. And then they feel included in this like exclusive club of baseball and what baseball really is. You know, like the real version right. of it. And let's keep everybody out. When, because to me, I, I also enjoy like multiple levels of talent of baseball, <laughs> you know, like, um, mm-hmm. I recently rewatched the, the Maver- Mavericks documentary. And I think that's a great, have you seen the, the battered bastards mm-hmm. of baseball and keeping out mm-hmm. even different philosophies, like, cause we're, what we're right. talking about too, is like the status quo then becomes the supposed philosophy of baseball that like bat right. flips are wrong and this is wrong and no chains and don't do that. And da, 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 you know, and it's, it just, it suppresses any sort of diversity of thought of being of humanity. You know, it just creates this. And like, it reminds, it makes me think of like, Oh, well let's have robot umps. And it's like, right. You're already making the game a robot by taking right. out <laughs> all of its humanity and all the things right. I enjoy. Like, there are players I don't like and I don't like them because they're on another team and they always get the goat of my team. You know, like I don't dislike players based on their humanity, you know, like exactly. But I feel like they, all the coded language serves that other purpose, which is to, to keep it within the hands of like rich old white men who for the most part made a lot of their money off of oil, 
you know, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and currently then funneled that money into like, uh, I don't know, military technology right. and weaponry. <laughs> so like, I think we maybe got to look at baseball's places like a larger, you know, uh, funding of our society, you know, like right. where does it actually fit? Because I think baseball has been a pretty powerful mirror, but I don't even think I really thought of when I asked you that question about, do you think baseball led the charger? Is it the players? Like it has always been the players because they've Mm -hmm. always been fighting against something within the game that should be different, you know? And I find it interesting that as we talk about this, I realize that MLB is run by a fear Mm. and uh, it's a fear on multiple levels, but one level for sure is they have a fear of that group of people that you're referring to that that really buy into the right way to play the game mm-hmm. idea they're fearful that that group of the fan base will revolt or mm-hmm. reject them or criticize them or start screaming stick to sports when it comes to things like what's going on in the world now and there's a very very fundamental fear that they carry of backlash from this very specific group of people and it it is a reflection to me that they're comfortable just placating those people. They're comfortable Mm -hmm. just marketing the game and targeting the game towards those people. And it's a very fundamental decision that they make both consciously and subconsciously to Mm -hmm. appease this very specific demographic of fan. And it's been like that for generations. Like, you know, it's in, part of the thing of baseball being so rooted in tradition also includes appeasing this group of people, <laughs> right? you know, and it's just like, it's never ending. And, and mm-hmm. baseball is just completely unaware that that's how it operates. Right. You know, they, they <laughs> right. do it consciously, but they're, uh-huh. they do it consciously, but also don't <laughs> know that they're doing it because it's so ingrained in how they've done things. And there's just, there isn't really a willingness to say, okay, we're going to broaden the scope or we're going to take a risk or we're going to start um, going in a different direction. There's just like a, a, a paralyzing fear that mm-hmm. they have that really drives a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if you, I'm wearing a, an LA hat today, but my team that I grew up watching was uh, Cleveland, uh, the mm-hmm. Cleveland baseball team. Mm-hmm. And yeah, <laughs> I know they specifically, whether it is like they, whatever is in their heart, I will never know these people as people, you know, but that is their biggest fear. When you, when you said fear, I like related super hard because this all comes down to fear ultimately, but they are so afraid of their fan base revolting. If they change the name, you know, they've, Mm -hmm. they've done due diligence and they don't wear the logo anymore. Um, which I think is positive. They still sell it because they have to hold the trademark, which has its positives and negatives. Um, But they are so scared of not just like losing those fans, but losing their money, (laughs) you know? Um, And they're so unwilling to believe that there, there might be something good on the other side of these changes, that there might be something we're all like, well, I don't know what will replace it. It's like, let's find out. Let's see how good it could be. You know, like right. I'm, I'm, why am I living in fear of how bad it's going to be if we take a, a big step? You know, why, right. why am I afraid of what's on the other side when what's happening now is pretty bad? 
(laughs) You know, so I would much rather take the risk on a path that feels right. You know, it feels right to open these doors to more people, to more voices, um, into something that, that I'm coming to with love and you're coming to it with love. Like this is, this is a thing we love and we want more love in the game because if you're reacting in fear or from fear, there's no love there, you know? Right. I also think that they're comfortable with that fear. <clears throat> like yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's I okay. mean, it's making them a lot of money right now. Right. So, exactly. Well, not right now, but it has, you know. Right. So they're they're comfortable with it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Like there really isn't or hasn't been up until this point an impetus to change things or to challenge themselves to think outside of the box. Yeah. I mean, I've it's it's crazy, like going back to the thread for a second. It's amazing how many mm-hmm. people have reached out to me that are that want to talk about, you know, what do I think? I mean, I'm just like a regular guy. I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> I don't work in baseball, but, um, you know, just wanting to get a better understanding of where my perspective came from. And mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to see people realize in real time that are a part of MLB that maybe it's time to start thinking outside the box and expanding mm-hmm. that scope and rethinking the way that they've done things because it's been comfortable because it's worked in a certain paradigm and it's like well you know the world is telling you that how you did things is not going to exist anymore or it's not going to be the Mm -hmm. same i mean between the pandemic between all the protests you know there's an election coming up i mean there's so many things that are happening in the year of 2020 that are demanding that you start looking at things differently or you're going to get left behind. I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. like, not to sound dramatic, but I think that that's where we're at as a society. <laughs> I so, think it's an understatement to, to be totally honest. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it, yeah, it it's is. Like, it is. We got we to gotta keep moving. You know, that's the thing is like, they're stagnant and they want to hold on to what they've got. And, you know, they, they are the benefits of an anti, they're exempt from, you know, monopoly laws. They, right. they have like a blank check from the government to do whatever they want. And like, okay, well, we're moving on without you. You know, I think right. it's, it's a powerful time where I hope, I mean, honestly, I love these sports. We've been living without them. So right. like, this is the moment to really take a stand. And like, I, you know, it's, but I, I think, I think these guys are realizing that, that like, honestly, what do you have to lose at this moment? Right. You know, what, 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 what do you have to lose? You know, <laughs> right. like what, you know, I, I know in my past that I have hesitated to say things, you know, in my, in my career for fear of whatever X, Y, and Z that I'm making up in my mind. And like, at this point, what job do I want that I would lose for, right. for <laughs> talking about my values as a human being, you know? Right. Um, and I, I'm seeing that sort of awakening on this level because, you know, there's no like shut up and play. They can't play. They so you're play. just telling them to shut up. You, <laughs> right. we as an audience, we have no, you know, the the people who don't want to hear these things, they have no collateral. <laughs> you know, right. like the players right. just have the microphone now. You know, and right. then if it, it I, I'm loving that they're not bending to what the MLB is asking for, because Agreed. they really are strong arming them into right. playing in the midst of a pandemic. When like, is this what we really need? Right. I love baseball, but is that what we really need? Right, and we've gone two and a half months or two plus months without it. So we know the Mm -hmm. answer to it. Like, 
right. we've had to figure out ways to survive both literally and figuratively um, in a pandemic where all of our lives are, are being threatened by something that, you know, we, we don't know if it's around the corner or right next to us. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, this has demonstrated the worth of things and our own worths in a, in a different manner, you know, like, yes. I don't, if you told me a year ago, like, could I survive without baseball? And I'd be like, no, I can't. But it's like, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you, you totally figure it can. out. <laughs> right. You, totally you really do. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. At the beginning, when it was start getting first getting kicked down the road, people would be like, but how are you doing without baseball? And I'm like, man, if baseball is the biggest thing that I lose right now, I'm a pretty blessed person. I'm very right. lucky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And like, I think you're very right about, you know, like what, what, what am I worth? You know, what am mm -hmm. I worth? And what, what is worthwhile to me? Like, it is actually a moment to say like, no, what, what do I believe in? What do mm -hmm. I have faith that we can create as a people? And, and what can I dream? You know, like what can right. we dream as people truly? Like this is right. not the time I think to settle <laughs> for this much, you know, like right. I really think this is a moment of open it up. Like wh why not? You know, right. why not? There's nothing. Right. What are you going to not be able to play baseball? You can't play baseball. Right. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, <know? can't. laughs> like, right. you can't play baseball. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge realignment of, of values, of priorities, of worth, of all those things. And right. I think too, like this moment, but also leading up to it and speaking to the social media of it all, it's like finding this other sort of cohort of baseball that mm. there are so many people involved in this sport on a level that Major League Baseball doesn't even know about. And they're unwilling to care, you know, because what they really care about is ad revenue, you know? Right. <laughs> and like, yeah. You know, it just doesn't translate. But I, I really think that. I mean, I have, I, I do believe that good is going to come from it. I just hope it's as big as it can possibly be. You know. Yeah, I agree that good's going to come from it. I'm not entirely sure what that looks like. Um, the one thing yeah. about the thread that I was really taken aback by was how positive the response was to it. Um, mm -hmm. I, like I didn't get trolls. I didn't get stick to sports people. It was, it was more like, how can I help? Like I feel challenged or, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't think about this before, or I'm reminded of this <clears throat> and it's really become a call of action. And I think that in my heart of hearts, or I hope in my heart of hearts that this becomes something sustainable and that where people feel inspired by what I said, the little thing that I did, they feel that it's time to go in their own respective corners and figure out ways to create sustainable ways to make a change. And even mm -hmm. if Major League Baseball itself doesn't really um, adjust to what's going on, there are all these other um, corners where that is happening. So, and I feel like that's healthy for the game, whether it's reflective on the field or not is a completely different conversation, but how it's covered, how it's received, how it includes other people, how it's um, developed, mm -hmm. you know, all of these things, how, and it, it doesn't even have to be things regarding like diversity and social, mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be in that manner, but maybe somebody comes up with some idea of how to just present the game in a different manner that has nothing to mm -hmm. do with anything socially. It's just, you know, somebody was inspired 
and brought along by somebody that saw my thread or um, shared the sentiments along the lines of what I said and bring somebody along. And that person could be a visionary that changes the way that we view the game, treat the game, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I'm excited by that. And I think that Mm -hmm. there are people that um, recognize the opportunity, recognize that change is necessary. And my, my hope is that it becomes something that's built that is sustainable. And it's not just Mm -hmm. like in the moment because there's, there are too many things happening this year (laughs) that, that it can't just be a fleeting moment. Like we can't just turn it off later because I mean, the, the pandemic has basically changed the world. So we have to, like you said, we have to adjust to it. And hopefully what comes with that is sustainable, um, sustainable movement and, and vision and execution of those diverse visions that I hope uh, start coming out of this. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I could not agree with you more. I, that is like a perfect sentiment and I think a great end (laughs) to this interview. Like, I don't want to, it's just like, yeah. Yeah, build it. You know, I've heard if you build it, he will come. So yeah, I heard know, that it's too. like, <laughs> yeah, you, you build it and then you keep building it, you know, right. and then it comes and it's like, it really just is. And people hate that movie, but I love that. <laughs> I, I do love that concept in that movie that like, oh yeah, you just, you build it and it comes, you know, right. and that's, and that's what you're doing. That's what I'm hoping to do. I, I if at the very least, um, you planted that seed for me of creating that sustainability. You know, it's like just the tiniest little bit, you only need a little bit and it grows. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the job is to nurture it, to continue the, the, the process, keep walking the path of, of, of the thing and, and creating, um, new spaces and not just like setting it aside on Monday when you go back to work, you know, right. it's like, right. it's every day. It's every right. day because we only have today. So I'm going to do it today. Um, right. yeah. So Randy, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Is there, like, we've, we, yeah, we've plugged your, uh, uh, Twitter and it'll be in the, the notes and everything. So everybody can check that thread out. Uh, but is there anything specific you want to mention that everybody should check out like that, past work, current work, coming up work, anything you want to let anybody know about? Oh yeah, actually today's a big day for me. I uh I was a director uh for the series premiere episode of a new show on Apple Plus um entitled oh, nice. Deer. Um it's entitled Deer. Uh I did the Spike Lee episode. It's the very first episode for the series. It's on Apple Plus today, so it'll be on the platform, so I'm very excited about that. Um yeah, I, I write for the Yankees. If there are any if there are any Yankees fans out there, I write for the site uh, views for 314feet.com. Uh myself and uh some of my buddies, Bobby Montano and Derek Albin and Matt and Bronio. We uh doing we've been doing pretty good with the site, so that's great. Nice. Um, yeah, and well, we have a podcast for the site as well. So yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um you can visit my uh filmmaking site too, pamson.com to see some of my older work and thank you for having me. I'm really appreciative of you bringing me on here and speaking to you. This is, this has been great. Yeah. Randy, thanks so much for being on and like being willing to just like jump on a person's podcast randomly. Kind of. <laughs> I'm, I'm really grateful that you're like into it and uh, I know everybody's going to love this episode. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, man. What a wonderful interview. I I can't even, I just, um, it's, 
so wonderful to connect with people at this time. Um, people, I mean, Randy and I have never met before and it's like, we're fast friends because we share a love of baseball together. And that's what this podcast has always been about. Um, it's pretty wonderful to have your own experience reflected back to you and another human being. And just like having baseball be such an integral part of your identity. What a wonderful connection to share with another person. Um, so give a shout, give a check out to, uh, all of Randy's projects. Uh, his shows up now on Apple plus. Um, so watch that. It's called deer dot, 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 I believe. Um, so please check that out. Um, and give him a follow on Twitter. His thread blew up and we discussed it. So please check that all out. It's Pam's son on Twitter at Pam's son. Um, and please come by the old ball game this weekend and let's make some money, uh, for good causes and come watch that game with us while we dissect not just the game, but perhaps Major League Baseball and its responses to many social issues. Um, and please go buy the Three Swings Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com thrash, thrash slash Three Swings. Um, you can sign up for Old Ball Game there. Uh, we still have, uh, I think, a Tee Public or something like that. I can't remember which thing we have. Um, you can support the show that way. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all those things. Um, and please, if you're looking for places to uh, educate yourself uh, on what's going on, just find the voices that you that you align yourself with and follow their follows. Um, someone that worked on Take My Wife in the first season who was uh, the head production designer posted about People's Budget LA. I saw the graph and started doing some investigation and realized, oh, I'm in alignment with these values. Um, and you might not live in Los Angeles, but I think it's a valuable thing to look at to then uh, perhaps look into your own city or county's budget and see what's going on and see where your money is going. Um, because it's an important tool and important, important thing to have at your disposal of how much money is actually going where you as a citizen want it to go. Um, so that's something small that you can do is, is arm yourself with information, you know, um, and do what you can take care of yourself, keep compassion and kindness and understanding at the center, but be mindful of continuing to take action. Even if that action is simply looking up a budget for your city. And also another former take my wife person, uh, Brittany Nichols on Twitter and Instagram has helped me educate myself a lot about movements and where my focus and energy needs to be that I do not actually want to settle for more reform. And I actually want huge change in these movements. And I, in, in reading what they wrote, realized that, oh, I, I am only in these in these times, in these moments, aligning myself with what Black Lives Matter, the movement, because it is not just a hashtag. It is not just a thing that you um, need to become willing to be able to say on a regular basis, especially as a white person. It is a movement of people who have been working for this moment for a long time on the ground with not a lot of money, with not a lot of prestige. And when I mean prestige, I mean celebrities and big faces and big names and a lot of big data. What they're actually doing is a, is a ground game 
And that's what they're continuing to do now. And so what I see is big actual change and not more government reform. What I see is we actually need to reallocate our funds away from the people that carry weapons. And so I'm grateful to those two people if they hadn't been willing to work on a show that I was graced with getting to make, I wouldn't have been given that education in the past two weeks. So I'm very grateful for them. Not even two weeks, 10 days. Um, so I'm very grateful because we're talking very much about like, you need to listen, but you also need to put those things out there and we all have to learn how to listen and speak. (laughs) And so I'm grateful to learn that every day. Um, so Grateful to my friend Allie for posting about the budget issues and grateful to my friend Brittany Nichols, who also wrote on a black lady sketch show, which if you have not watched that show, you have to watch it. It's very good. Um, Just a super talented cast and very funny. Um, Unapologetically funny, I would say. (laughs) Uh, I watched some of it last night and it was incredibly good. Um, So thank you so much for listening to the episode. Uh, I'm really grateful to to Randy for stopping by and uh, sharing his experience with me. Very wonderful thing. And we will be back next week, probably with an old episode. So thanks for sticking with us during this time. We appreciate you. And as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.